I hope you have your Bibles and go ahead and, and have it handy. I'll mention it in a moment, but go ahead and mention it right now. If you want, don't go ahead and turn to 1 Kings uh, chapter 17. We'll be in three chapters there in 1 Kings uh, as we look today about how God provides in every circumstance. Um, I know there have been various times in my life that I've looked around and I've been envious of others when I compare what they have to what I have. I don't know if you've ever been there, all right? Even when I honestly stop and consider what I have and know that I'm blessed far beyond what I deserve, it still doesn't keep me from being envious. I will look at times and say, you know what? I I live in a house, and my house is a vinyl siding house, and I sure wish I could afford a brick home. You know, I I do that sometimes. You ever do that? I I also look around sometimes and say that, you know, I, I drive a 2003 Chevy Trailblazer, and I wish I drove a a newer vehicle. All right. By the way, I have to emphasize 2003. I messed up in the first service and some reason said 2017 and my family blasted me. They said, when did you get a 2017 trailblazer? All right. Or other people said, why so bad about a 2000? Well, it's a 2003. All right. And so I look and say, I wish I drew, drew something. I wish I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't even talk now. See, they done messed me up. All right. I, I wish I had something newer than a 2003 Chevy trailblazer. I look at times and say, you know what? I wish my wardrobe was more up to date. Maybe I could walk with the cool kids if I wore some cooler clothes, right? I, I don't know. I have those moments when I look and, and I, I struggle with that, all right? I, I wish. Even though God provides for my needs, I can honestly say there's times that, that I look and I wish I had more. But let me pause and say this. As I honestly stop to consider my life, hear me, there have never, ever been a time that my needs have not been met. Not, not a single time in my life. Again, I can look and say there are times that my need was barely met. There are times I can look and say I wish my need was met in a different way, but God has always met my need. And today what I want us to consider is how God provides in every circumstance. If you haven't already, as I requested, well, I'll go do so now. Turn 1 Kings chapter 17, all right? If you have your Bible app, open it up on your phone. I don't care. You won't offend me. However, get there. And these chapters that we're going to look at this morning are focused around the life of the prophet Elijah. Elijah was the first in the line of major prophets who ministered in Israel and Judah. When the kingdom became divided, Israel had no faithful king, and even the priests had become appointed by the king. They also proved likewise to be unfaithful. The priests were men of God who didn't know God. Therefore, God sent a line of prophets to rescue his people. Now, in their unfaithfulness, the people of Israel worshiped false gods, one of the main ones being Baal. Baal was considered the God who controlled the rains and the bountiful harvest. Therefore, it should not be surprising to us that when God worked to rescue the people and to prove their false gods wrong, that God worked by sending a drought to the land. God was trying to make it clear that Baal was not in control of the rain, but he was. Now, since there was no rain in the land, there was also no abundant harvest. Therefore, the conditions got very difficult for the people of Israel. The people had to scramble for food and for water. Now, we should make note that included in those affected by the drought was Elijah himself, who had brought the word from God in regards to him holding back the rain. When God sends punishment upon a land, unfortunately, even those who are faithful to God can suffer the effects. However, what I want us to see first is that this, God provides for our physical needs. In preparation, even for this drought, here's what God said to Elijah. He said, and the word of the Lord came to him in verse two, depart from me here and turn eastward and hide yourself by the brook of Cherith, which is east of the Jordan. And you shall drink from the brook and I've commanded the ravens to feed you there. 
And so he went and did according to the word of the Lord. He went and lived by the brook of Cherith that is east of the Jordan. And the ravens brought him bread and meat in the morning and bread and meat in the evening. And he drank from the brook. All right. Now, though Elijah would be affected by the difficult circumstances, God was still going to take care of him. It's even interesting to me that part of the way that God provided for Elijah was not that miraculous. He simply told him to go to the brook from which he could drink. I mean, it would make sense to us that, you know, even that a brook would not run dry immediately after rain stop. I mean, it takes a while for all sources of water that feed that brook to dry up. And so God just told Elijah, he said, you go by that drink, that brook, and I want you to drink from it. Now, it is a little more miraculous to us that ravens would bring bread and meat twice a day. I'm not sure even how they did it, but because God is God, he can provide however he wants. Amen. And so he chose to do this and God continued to provide for Elijah's physical needs in this way until we get to verse seven and look look at verse seven. And it says that after a while, the brook dried up because there was no rain in the land. Now, once again, this makes sense to us that the brook dried up, but we want to think this. We want to think, well, God, if you told Elijah to go to that brook and drink, well, surely you're going to make that brook continuously run, right? But he didn't, all right? Instead, God said, I'm, I'm now going to provide Elijah for you another way. Look at what he says next. Then the word of the Lord came to him. Arise, go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. God simply was now choosing to provide another way. Now, what is interesting about this choice of provision is that when Elijah comes to the widow, she makes a recognition that all she has is a handful of flour in her jar and a little oil in her jug. She even indicated that this was her plan. Her plan was to take what little flour she had left and what little oil she had left and fix a meal for her and her son, a last meal, so to speak, that they were going to eat and then they were going to wait to die. Well, listen to Elijah's response to her. And Elijah said to her, do not fear, go and do as you have said. But first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me and afterward make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, the jar of flour shall not be spent. The jug of oil shall not be empty until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said, and she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent. Neither did the jug of oil become empty according to the word of the Lord that he spoke to Elijah. Now, in response to this woman's faithfulness, we see God act not only to provide for Elijah, but also for this widow and her son and others. The flour was never spent and the jug of oil never ran out. God truly provided. Now, for time's sake, I will not continue reading, but we could see where later the widow's son becomes sick and dies. But then God, through Elijah, raises him back to life. God, in this case, truly worked miracle, taking care of a physical need. And throughout, what we see is God providing for the physical needs. Now, here's what some of us may want to do. We might want to have this tendency to say, well, well, Brother Scott, that's just a neat Old Testament story, but that doesn't mean anything to me. But listen, there's more to it than just a good story. God has this recorded so that we too can know that God will provide for our physical needs as we trust him, even in times of great difficulty. In fact, if you look at Elijah's life, it would have made perfect sense to just talk about the cause of the famine, God holding that back, and then move to his encounter with the prophets of Baal, where God's going to prove his power. However, God chose to include his caring for Elijah and the widow's physical needs so that we would know his character and his plan, so that we would know that God cares in this way. Because let's remember, God's plans are unbroken. God still plans today to take care of our physical needs. You know, when you look into the New Testament, we can see many promises in regards to this truth. 
You can go to the classic passage we all like to quote in Matthew 6 where we read there in verse 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more valuable than they? The indication be, if God will feed the birds, he's going to feed you, right? Then in Philippians, it says this in 419, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. You see, what the Bible is clear about from cover to cover is that God takes care of our physical needs. He created us and he intends to provide for his people. He asked us to trust him and he asked us to listen to him. We do need to remember Elijah had to listen to God and go to the brook, did he not? He also had to listen and go to, to the, uh, uh, you know, the, the widow and do what she said, all right? If he'd not listened to God in either case, he could not have complained to God and said, God, why didn't you take care of me? God would have looked back and said, I did, you just didn't listen right? Many times our issue is not being provided for as as much as about we're not listening to what God has told us to do. But if we will trust God and obey him, we can be assured he will take care of our physical needs. You know, in my life over and over, I've seen God take care of me. I've seen God provide for my physical needs. As I've said, I've not always lived life with abundance, but my needs have always been met. I've shared before about the time when our kids were little and Kim and I went to church and we didn't have enough money to, uh, you know, buy, uh, you know, pay our tithe and also to buy diapers that we needed, all right? But we went to church that day and said, we're going to be obedient to the Lord. We're going to pay our tithe. I've got a credit card. We'll, we'll charge the diapers and hope at the end of the month there'll be enough money to pay for it. But in our obedience to God, what we found out after church, had not sharing the need with anybody, somehow a $20 bill ended up in our diaper bag. And so not only did we pay our tithe, we had enough to pay cash for the diapers. All right? Amen. See, see, God provided in that way. I remember another time when we wanted a new refrigerator and we had the money in the account to buy that, renew, that refrigerator. But through a Bible study that we were doing, God convicted me that that refrigerator at that point was a want and not a need and that we shouldn't buy it at that moment. All right? For some reason, God was saying, don't buy that refrigerator. Uh, lo, lo and behold, uh, this is what happened a couple weeks later. Our car tore up, and we had to have some major repairs done upon that car. And because we didn't buy the refrigerator, guess what? I was able to pay for the repairs on the car. But if I had bought the refrigerator, if I hadn't listened to God and did what I wanted to do, I would have been in trouble when it came to repairing the car. But because we listened to God, God provided, all right? We listened to his voice. Then I can look back at the life of my grandmother who was in a serious car wreck and the doctor said she would not live through the night. But God answered our prayers to save her. Not only did she live through the night, she lived to be 99. She died just three months short of 100. And in each case, I can look and say, God provided for our physical needs. There's no doubt in my mind, it was God. His evidence of his working in my life is all around. Now, there have been other things in life where I've wondered, well, God, why didn't you work in a different way? We've had our share of difficulties, including Kim's dad dying when he was just 51 from cancer. And though there are things I don't understand and I might question why, I have to trust that God knows best because God has told us he will provide for our needs. And there's too much evidence in life that God does exactly that for those who trust him. And for me to doubt what he does would be wrong. If we could trust God, we know, listen, that he will provide for our physical needs. But folks, providing for our physical needs is not the only way God provides. I would maintain this. Even providing for our physical needs is just the very basics of what God does in our life. That's kind of the ground floor level that he takes care of our needs because God also does this. God provides spiritual victories. You know, when you look at the life of Elijah, we have to remember that his life really centers around a spiritual battle. 
The famine came to the land because the people had chosen to worship a false god. What was happening to them was not just an occurrence of nature. It was the work of God showing that Baal was not in control of the rain and harvest, but that he was. This event should probably stand as a reminder to us that what is going on in our world right now is under the control of God. In fact, anytime I think about sickness and disease and I hear people say, well, I'm gonna, we're going to defeat this. We're, we're going to take care of this. I want to ask the question, when did you become God? When, when did you become God? I want to remind people that they're, they're, we'll, we will get a vaccine for COVID-19, but who's going to stop the next virus or disease from happening? Okay? We are not in control. I think at times God allows things to happen to get our attention, to remind us that he is in control and that what is most important for us is to trust him. Even in what is currently a very difficult time for the church, I believe God's at work. I've made the remark that what has become a call to put masks on has caused some people to take their mask off. In other words, the tension of the moment has caused some people to reveal the truth of who they really are, the truth of their hearts. And God allows things to happen so we can hopefully consider who we are and consider our need for God's grace and turn to him and find that all we need in him. We should turn to him because it is God's grace that wins us spiritual victories. The spiritual condition of lives is always God's greatest concern. Definitely a greater concern than our physical comfort. Here with Elijah, if you know the details, you know that there's a call to the people in the midst of their physical struggle. Look at chapter 18, verse 21. It says, Elijah came near to all the people and said, how long will you go limping between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal, then follow him. And the people did not answer him a word. See, look at this. Here was a people who in one sense would say they were the people of God, yet they worshiped Baal. Elijah puts it to them plainly. In the midst of your physical need, who are you going to trust? Are you going to trust God or are you going to trust Baal? It was a question the people needed to answer, and the way they answered it would directly affect the rest of their lives. It's kind of sad in that moment that they just remained silent. As we hear that question, it makes more sense that the previous chapter records God taking care of Elijah's need because one who's reading the text should look and say, well, God is the one that we should trust. I mean, he already proved it by taking care of Elijah. So again, he is the one we should trust. But let's remember, this is a spiritual battle, okay? So who's going to win this spiritual victory? But to save time, let me summarize what happens next. You have 450 prophets of Baal against Elijah alone. Seems like unfair odds, does it not? 450 to one? All right? It probably is unless the one is on God's side. Elijah puts out the challenge that each side will get a bull, and he will let the prophets of Baal even choose their bull for it first, just to make sure he didn't have some trick bull, right? You pick the one you want. The bull is then to be sacrificed and laid on the altar, and the prophets are to pray to their God to consume it with fire. The winner, the one whose God consumes it and proves to be the true God. So the prophets of Baal go first. They cry out to Baal from morning to noon with no results. They even cut themselves believing that somehow that Baal will respond to these so-called acts of devotion, but no answer. Nothing happens. Nothing absolutely at all. Elijah even makes a joke in the midst of this. If you read the text, he talks about, well, Baal, well, maybe he's asleep. Or maybe he's in the restroom. God's in the restroom, all right? Or maybe he's on a journey. Now, we shouldn't be surprised that nothing happens since Baal is a false god. But if anyone wondered, any doubt should be erased by the silence. Well, next, it is Elijah's time, and he steps up the level of difficulty. 
He not only places his sacrifice bull on the altar, he has it soaked with water, including the wood that would be used to, to burn the sacrifice, and then he even has a trench dug around that altar and has it all filled with water. For this sacrifice to burn, it would be no easy task. But after everything is prepared, here's what we read, verse 36. And at the time of the offering of the oblation, Elijah the prophet came near and said, O Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord, answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, the Lord, he is God. The Lord, he is God. Now, what God did here was provide a spiritual victory. When the people were saying, Baal is God, the Lord said, I will show you. I will show you my power and prove that I am the one true God and that there is none other. In fact, immediately follows, in fact, God immediately follows this amazing show of his might by sending rain just to make sure the people have no doubts. The people's false God who they thought could send rain was defeated when God sends the rain they needed, showing that he was in control of the rain. And we saw in response to God consuming the sacrifice, God's actions led the people to proclaim that he is God. See, there is no doubt that God provided a great spiritual victory here through Elijah. And what we also need to know is that God's plans are unbroken, that God is still giving spiritual victories. We must never forget, folks, that our greatest battle is not a physical battle. Our greatest battles are spiritual. Are you aware of that? They're spiritual battles. This is made clear in Ephesians 6, 12. It says this, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. See, folks, we wrestle with spiritual forces that we don't even understand. Forces seeking to have people worship false gods and fail to recognize the one true God. However, what we must be clear about is that God can provide victory. In fact, in Ephesians 6, we're told to put on the whole armor of God so that we can stand. Spiritual victories are not even ours to win. Spiritual victories come from the Lord. And in 1 John 5, 4 and 5, it makes it clear how we experience these victories. It says, for everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that, that Jesus is the Son of God? You see, our key to spiritual victories is faith in Jesus Christ. He has provided victory. Our spiritual battle is most evident in our battle with sin. And Jesus died to set us free from sin. Jesus' death on the cross paid the penalty, but it also disarmed Satan's ability to control us. And when Jesus Christ resurrected, he proclaimed, I am the victor. Folks, hear me. Satan can only win if we refuse to let Jesus have control. When Jesus is in control, victory is assured because we're told this in 1 John 4, 4, for he who is greater is in you than he is in the world. You see, when you walk with God and you place your faith in Jesus Christ, spiritual victories beyond your imagination can take place. In fact, again, I've experienced those victories at different points in my life. One of the greatest happened early in my marriage when it looked like things were not going to end well, but then God stepped in. God did a work in Kim's life. God did a work in my life. And when we fully surrendered to his will, what he did, he not only healed our marriage, but he brought us to where we are today. Not perfect yet, but blessed beyond measure. I even look back at the last year here at the church. Some of you know the Messina family. Some of you know the Messina family. Maybe some of you don't, but the Messinas, they had to move because of a job, so they're no longer here with us. They had to move out of town. 
But if you know the Messina family, you know this, that God gave that family a great victory. Due to, um, as we think about that cliff, who was the husband and father, I mean, he, he just really didn't want to have anything to do with this Christianity. He really, to be honest with you, he was bound by sin and didn't even know it. He was in a battle for his life and didn't even know it. But then when some of his kids began to get baptized as they gave their life to Jesus Christ, I mean, it got real because in his life, he was resistant to that. And again, he didn't think it was true and, 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 and he was kind of really against them doing that. And so he was in this spiritual battle for his soul he wasn't aware of. And because of this bondage, his marriage and his family were fixing to fall apart. They were on the brink. His, his life was almost in ruins. But because Jessica, his wife, prayed for him and his children prayed, and the people here at church prayed. God did a work in his life. And within weeks of an essence saying Christianity wasn't for him, Cliff was praying to receive Christ. And he discovered a freedom in his soul that he had never experienced before. And God began to do a work not only in his life, but in his family. And today he is still even thanking me for what I did. And the only thing that I did was share scripture with him and stand back and watch God work in his life. And today he radically is saying what God has done. It is amazing work in his heart, all right? And we watched God give a spiritual victory. His transformation, Cliff's transformation was one of those things that make you look and say, no one can deny the power of God to change lives. No one can deny that God gives spiritual victories because Cliff is proof. Now, I know that he's not the only life in our congregation where God has provided spiritual victories, there are those who could give testimony how God's spiritual victory brought freedom from alcohol and drug abuse. There are spiritual victories in our midst where God brought freedom from thoughts of suicide. Many spiritual victories have been accomplished by God in the lives of people that we know. The key to all these victories was faith in God and his power. Remember in the incident with Elijah, he won a great spiritual victory because he trusted the Lord. But remember this, there were losers. You know that, right? Those who trusted in Baal lost the battle, and all the prophets lost their lives. A true faith in the living God will bring spiritual victories, and I'm so thankful today that God still provides spiritual victories for those who trust him, that his plan is unbroken, all right? Now, we could stop there this morning and rejoice, could we not? But there's one more thing that I wanted to see that God provides, and that is that God provides reassuring peace. You know, if we were to stop and evaluate Elijah's life so far, we'd probably think that Elijah has it all together. I mean, he's seen God miraculously provide for his physical needs. He's seen God bring a great spiritual victory by displaying his incredible power. In fact, we would probably look at Elijah right now, and, and, and we would look at him like Rocky Balboa standing at the top of the steps in the Philadelphia Museum of the Arts, right? Right? Was that too much for you? But you know what I'm talking about, right? Uh, arms up, I, I, I've won, I've won. That's how we think Elijah is gonna be, all right? Because he has seen this and God's done great things. But right after Elijah experiences this amazing spiritual victory, we see where Jezebel, who was the wicked queen of Israel and who adamantly opposed God, made this threat towards Elijah in verse one of chapter 19. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, so may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Now, if what she said is not clear to you, let me make it clear. She's threatened to kill Elijah within 24 hours. Now, that's obviously a serious threat, right? But it's nothing to Elijah, right? 
I mean, as I stated, he saw God provide for him in amazing ways. I mean, God had given him amazing physical provision, all right? He brought this incredible victory over the 450 prophets of Baal. I mean, if he can beat 450 prophets of Baal, surely he can beat one Jezebel, right? Surely the threat from Jezebel would mean nothing to Elijah. He knew God was on his side, right? Well, let's read Elijah's response to Jezebel's threat in verse 4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. Instead of exuding with confidence, as we think he would, Elijah was so depressed that he longed to die. We might say he was suicidal. This response does surprise us, but here are a couple of things I want to say to those who are listening this morning. Where you're in here, in, in this room, or where you're watching online, there's something I want to say to you first is this, all right? It's very common for moments of great depression to follow moments of great spiritual victory. Remember, spiritually, we are in a war. So we shouldn't be surprised when we find ourselves struggling after spiritual victory because Satan will not give up easily. Some of our hardest times in life can be after spiritual high moments. In fact, ask anyone who's ever been on a spiritual retreat and came back on fire from God, ask them if things went easy or hard for them in life when they returned. Most of them will tell you things just started falling apart. Second, if you've ever found yourself so depressed, you've had thoughts of dying, don't feel like you're alone. If someone like the prophet Elijah can have those feelings, then you shouldn't be surprised that you can have them too. Now, what's going to be key for Elijah and for us is not to stay in that dark place. And as I've labeled this point, it's knowing that God provides reassuring peace. I want us to see this. But before we get to the key of having this peace, let me give you a couple of very practical things that God encourages Elijah to do while he is in this dark place. Look at what God said to him in verse 5. He says, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. Very practically, God through an angel tells Elijah to get up and eat. If you haven't been in a place of deep depression, or if you've been in a place of deep depression, you know that it can be hard just to get out of bed. God's word would encourage us not to allow yourself to stay there. Get up, get moving, and eat. The longer you stay inactive, the more difficult it becomes to get going. And I'm going to say this. this I'm not saying this is easy, because if you read the text, God tells Elijah to get up and eat. Elijah gets up and eats. You know what he does after he gets up and eat? He goes back to bed. God has to come to him again and says, Elijah, get up and eat. It's not easy. I'm not saying it's easy. But what I'm saying is we should fight through that and move forward. Get up and move to what God wants to do for you in your life. In fact, the need to fight through sometimes is probably what in Gala- why it says in Galatians 9 this, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. Sometimes a great victory comes in not giving up, but pressing on. Then the second very practical thing God reminds Elijah of is this, you're not alone. In this moment of being overwhelmed, Elijah was depressed in part because he felt he was the only one who still served God. I know that because Elijah said this in verse 14. He says, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with a sword, and I, even I only, am left. And they seek my life to take it away. In other words, at this point, Elijah feels like he's wasted his life and he is all alone, that there is no one but him. But God gives him a plan, and then God says this to him in the end in verse 18. 
Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. In other words, God was looking at Elijah and saying, Elijah, listen, you might feel alone right now, but I want you to know you're not. You're not. In fact, I'm going to personally assure that there are 7,000 others who have not bowed down to Baal. Elijah, you are not alone. When you feel you are alone, I want to encourage you to look around because you're not. The Apostle Paul was even given a similar reminder by God in Acts 18. When he faced a great challenge and felt alone, God told Paul, I have many people in this city. And for those listening to me who feel overwhelmed, if you will look around, there are many who are on your side and they will be there to help you. If you are in a dark place, know you're not alone. There is family, there are friends, there is your church family. Many who will be there for you, to walk with you, to fight with you, to serve with you. Never feel alone, all right, because you are not. Let God show you all those who are on your side because knowing that you are not alone is important, amen? It's good to know we're not in this alone. Now, those two practical things are important, but they are not the key to the reassuring peace that God wants to provide. What is the key? Let's look. God had Elijah go to Horeb, the mountain of God. In other words, he wanted Elijah to come and meet with him. As Elijah's on the mountain, God has him go and stand before him. And this is what we read in verse 11. And he got him stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by in a great strong wind tore the mountains and broken pieces of rock before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? Let's be honest this morning, folks. What every one of us really wants from God is an incredible display of his power and presence. Right? I mean, we want God to do something like an earthquake. Or we want God to do something like a raging fire. We want God to do something grand and big in our midst that shows his presence in order that we would be reassured. Am I right? That's really what we long for. We want God to do that. However, here is what this incident with Elijah shows us. God is most often in the low whisper, in the still, small voice. And God's plans are unbroken. In fact, God promises his presence with us. If you are a believer, God has given you his Holy Spirit to live in you constantly, his moment-by-moment presence, that still small voice to speak to you to not only every day but constantly. And because of this promise, folks, no matter what you are going through, no matter what you're facing, you can have God's peace. And we can know that's true because what we're told in Philippians 4, 4 through 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. And look at this. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Folks, God wants to provide you reassuring peace. And that peace is yours if you will give your anxiety to him. Trust God that he can provide all that you need. Trust that God loves you and wants the best for you. Trust that no matter what is going on around you, that God has it under control. 
And if you will give truly your anxiety to him today, God can give you a peace that passes understanding, a peace that will guard your heart, a peace that will guard your mind, a peace that the world will truly not understand, a peace that will reassure us in the most trying of times. He will give you that little whisper that says, it's going to be okay. I have everything under control. And let's never forget what Jesus told us in the midst of his teaching about the presence of this Holy Spirit that he was going to give to every believer. Jesus said this in John 14, 27. Peace I leave you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You see, God truly wants to provide you reassuring peace. And today I know whether you are hearing me in person or online, you probably have some need in your life. Thank you. Whether that's a physical need, whether that's a spiritual victory, or where it's a reassuring peace, I'm here to tell you God is ready to provide this morning. In all your circumstances, he's ready to provide. What God is simply wanting from you is to trust him. He wants you to trust him, to follow him, and trust that he will provide. And if you ask me this morning, Brother Scott, why should I trust God the way you're asking Why should I have this perfect peace that you're telling me, this reassuring peace? Well, let me remind you of this, that you remember this. He proved his love by sending Jesus to die for your sin. Again, and not only did Jesus die for your sin, Jesus, you know, resurrected to conquer sin and death. And folks, if God can do that, he can provide for any need you have. Amen? And what I'm going to encourage you to do today is to trust him to provide. As I speak to you this morning, do you have a need? Anybody got a need today? If you do, I'm encouraging in this moment, trust that God will provide and find his victory, find his provision, and find his peace. In fact, as we come to the invitation this morning, it's going to be an opportunity for us to trust the Lord. Maybe you've come here this morning, you've been overwhelmed with some need in your life. Maybe it's a a physical need. Let me ask you, have you turned to the Lord and say, God, will you provide and even ask him how he's providing. Maybe all he wants to do is point you did with Elijah. Go here. And I've already, I've already made provisions. You just need to get to where your provision is. Maybe he needs to direct you to another direction. Maybe he provided for a while and he said, God, it dried up. Where's it at now? Let him point you to the next place because he's ready to provide. Is there a spiritual victory needed in your life today? Well, why not kneel before God and say, God, I need this. Pray, because God can bring that spiritual victory. And he may do it in a great and a mighty way. It may be in something simple, but if you trust it to him, God can bring those spiritual victories. And today, in the midst of all of it, are you crying out to him and say, God, give me that peace? Today, let's do what it says in Philippians. Let's take our anxiety. We've come with anxieties today. Let's cast them on him. And if we cast them on him today, I'll assure you, he can give you a peace that passes all understanding. Do you have a need today? Let's trust those things to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, as we come to you this morning, as always, God, your word is rich. And Father, your word speaks to us even in our moments. Because God, right now, I think our confession as a people would be we have a lot of needs, more needs than we can count. And Father, we know that many times these needs seek to overwhelm us. God, many of us would probably even say, I relate to Elijah. I'm just ready to die. I'm ready to be done. Father, today I'm thankful that your word reminds us that we don't have to be overwhelmed. We don't have to worry. 
that, Father, we can come to you today and trust you. And if we trust all these things to you, God, you can provide whatever it is, whether it's a physical need, that spiritual victory, or just that reassuring peace. Father, you have it ready to give to us today if we'll just reach out to you and just trust you. And so this morning, as we come to this time of invitation, my prayer would be for all those who are here and have brought a need to this place, in whatever way fits the need, that today, God, that they would trust that need to you and watch your hand provide. And so bless this invitation. Speak to us, God. We need to hear from you in this moment. Fathers, I pray these things. I pray them in Jesus' name. Amen.